Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, I was reading up on, on this article about how online dating has brought about one of the biggest shifts in American faith in recent history. So one of, the, one of the biggest shifts in American faith is the result of online dating. So back in the 2000s when online dating became a thing, you know, there was this trend of people on their profile when there was like, hey, what's your religious affiliation? People were saying none. And so a lot of people are saying there's a growing trend of nuns in the United States, right? Wait, wait, Mother Teresa's? Not Mother Teresa's, not that type of nun, but just like someone who has no religious affiliation. Well, now there is a category that says spiritual, but not religious. And over the course of the last few years, one in five Americans have now shifted to saying, that's my group. I'm spiritual, but not religious. And they trace it back to its roots in online dating. And so why, why are people more likely to say, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious? Why is that such an attractive descriptor, S-B-N-R? And they say because, you know, a lot of people grew up in Christian homes, but that's not really where they are anymore. And so they're like, man, if I say I'm a Christian or that I'm religious, then people think that I wear uncomfortable clothes, I listen to boring music, and that I think I'm a better person than them. I don't wanna be that. But if I say I'm an atheist, they think I kill puppies, and so I don't want that either. And so spiritual but not religious. I'm willing to ask larger questions in a, in a more free arena. And so it's an attractive thing. Now, I believe that the reason why, why it's such an attractive thing for us is because we're all spiritual people. Now, I, I get it that there is a pushback to the idea of religion, Right? There is a pushback to the idea of religion. If you, if you were to study people like Sigmund Freud, he would say that religious performance is something that guilt-ridden people do to cleanse themselves in a way of trying to force God's hand in blessing them. If you were to look at Karl Marx, he would say that the religious principle is something that one class uses to oppress another. Or if you were to study Nietzsche, he would say that all religion, it's just, it's a power grab. And so it's not uncommon for people to push back against religion. That's not something that's new to, to the, the next generation. But this idea of like, man, I'm, I'm still spiritual, I'm still searching, that's true of all of us. Whether we will admit it or not, we're all spiritual beings and we're all searching and longing to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. The question we have to wrestle with is, are the things we're going to, to satisfy that, that spiritual searching, are they working? All right, and so let's, let's jump into Acts chapter 13 today because I believe this is a great text that helps us to understand the spiritual but not religious movement, um, how we can engage it, but how we can also maybe find some answers to what we're looking for as spiritual people. Let's start in verses one through three. It says, now there was in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
And so setting the stage for what we're about to see is that there's a, a church in Antioch, which is a little north of Israel in Syria, and that's where Saul has landed. We met Saul earlier in the book of Acts. He was killing Christians, trying to stop the advance of the church, but God radically saved him. So he kind of goes off for three years to prepare himself for this missionary journey. This is gonna be the first of three missionary journeys that changed the course of history, right? And so he's preparing himself for that. So as he's worshiping, the Holy Spirit shows up and speaks to the leadership of this church and says, hey, I want you to send off Saul and Barnabas, right? You guys are gonna be sent off on a missionary journey. Now, I love this team. Barnabas, we met in chapter four. He's an encourager. He's a super generous guy. And then you have Saul. And Saul, I mean, this guy is an elite dude. He's got an elite secular education with the university systems at Tarsus. He has an elite religious education by one of the most um, prolific rabbis. He's fluent in four different languages. The guy was brilliant. He is a dual citizen, so he has privileges that other people don't because he's a citizen of Jerusalem and of Rome. And he's a young guy, about the age of Jesus, and he's got a lot of energy. So this is a, this is a power team that's getting ready to head off on a missionary journey. Now, in the book of Acts, this is a pivot point. To this point, the gospel, the advance of the church, has been within one region, but now it's about to go overseas. So for the first time, we're gonna see the advance of the church reach overseas. All right, so let's look at verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So they go, they go 16 miles south to a port city, jump on a boat, and sail 130 miles to Barnabas's home turf. So they go to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. So they're on a preaching tour. They're going out to preach. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now, the John that is with them, if you look at Jesus's closest friends, it's Peter, James, and John. This is not that John. This is John Mark. We know him as Mark, the guy who wrote the gospel according to Mark. So Mark is with them. Mark is hanging out with Barnabas and Saul on this missionary journey. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So they make, they make this 90-mile journey through the island, across from the east to the west. They journey through the island on a huge preaching tour, and they meet this guy, Bar-Jesus, which means son of salvation. And he's a magician. He's a false prophet. And so if you're wondering, like, what in the world is a false prophet? A false prophet is someone who, who believes they're talking on behalf of God, they believe they're speaking truthful things, but the reality is they're not leading people to Jesus, they're leading people away from Jesus. So here's a guy who's, who's teaching things that are not leading people closer to God. He's teaching things that are leading people further away. All right, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. So a proconsul, that's basically like the governor. He's, he's a Roman governor in this region. He was with... Um, he was with Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So this, here's Sergius Paulus. He is spiritual, right? And this is where I want us to understand kind of what this spiritual person looks like. So here's what we know about him. One is it says that he was intelligent. So if you think about this guy. Some people are like, well, Christians, they're just not intelligent. They never think through things. That's not true. 
Paulus is an intelligent guy. He's not quoting or citing Wikipedia on research papers. Like if you're in college and you do that, don't. Your professor's gonna be like, what in the world? That's not a reliable source, okay? He's not looking to the Facebook and going, I believe it because I saw it on Facebook. I'm a doctor now. He's not looking at the Babylon Bee thinking it's a credible news source. He's, he's not the guy who thinks that gullible's not in the dictionary. He's a smart guy, but what does he do? He summons Barnabas and Saul to hear from the word of God because he is spiritually curious as well. So here's a guy, he's like, I have these questions. I have these big questions as as far as life goes, and I'd love to know what the word of God has to say. So here he is, he's an intelligent man, he's in a leadership position, and he is spiritually curious. He wants to know what the word of God has to say to spiritual things, right? But Ilamus, the magician, for this is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so here the magician guy, he's like, well, my job is kind of being a spiritual um, advisor to the governor. And if he's leaning into other people for spiritual advice, I might lose my job. So I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna, try to get these guys to shut their mouths. He's gonna regret that here in a second, right? And so, but Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. All right, real quick side note. This is not that important, but I want to clear some things up. Have you ever heard that like Saul was pre-Jesus and Paul was post-Jesus? If you ever heard that, let me just clarify, that's actually not true. Saul, dual citizen, right? His Hebrew name was Saul. His Roman name, which he actually would have had three Roman names, but one of his Roman names was Paul. So depending on the context in which he's ministering, he will either go by Saul or Paul. And so if he's talking to a primarily Jewish context, he goes by Saul. If he's talking to a primarily Gentile context, he goes by Paul. Chapters 13 and following are all primarily Gentile context, so we know him as Paul. But he didn't have like a a pre-Christian name and a post-Christian name. Same dude, just different context. All right, so Saul, who was also Paul, filled the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Here's a guy who believed his name was son of salvation. He's like, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Like, have you ever heard some misinformation and just wanted to go off on somebody? <laughs> like, me neither, right? Either way, so either way, Paul's like, I'm gonna go off on this dude. And you read it, you're like, that's a little intense. Like, like, that's a little harsh. And so let me explain two things that I believe are going on with why Paul came across so harsh on Bar-Jesus and called him the son of the devil, right? One is when Paul or when Saul came to Christ, right? When he came to Christ, he was convinced that he was right. He was convinced that he was right. And the only thing that was able to turn him around was going into physical darkness where God blinded him. So it very well could be that this guy bar Jesus is convinced he's right. And Saul knows like himself that the only thing that's going to change this guy The only thing that's going to turn this guy around is if he goes into physical darkness as well. So it could be the most kind thing that Paul could do is to try to bring him to that same experience. So I believe that Paul's intent is for this guy to come to know Jesus by whatever means it's going to take. But a second thing that's going on here that we need to know is that it's a big deal to God 
when you make people stumble. So if you're telling someone something that you think is right, but it's actually wrong, something that you think is helpful, but it's leading them away from Jesus, that's a big deal. I mean, Luke 17, 2, Jesus said it'd be better for you to tie a stone around your neck and to be cast over the side of a boat in the lake than to cause someone to stumble. God takes causing people to stumble seriously. And I believe that we'd like to think that a message that's labeled as like you're a villain and it's crooked and it's unrighteous and it's wicked, it's deceitful. We would love for those messages to come with a huge blinking light or we'd love for them to be easily detectable. I mean, if, if a false prophet shows up and goes, kill your dog, burn down your house and give me your bank account, thus saith the word of the Lord. You might be like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this guy might not be true. He might be a false prophet. If it was that easy, that'd be great. But the problem is, is that false doctrine Teaching that tends to lead people not closer to Jesus, but further away from Jesus is generally attractive and hard to detect. False teaching is generally attractive and hard to detect. It makes you think about my neighbor. Um, um, there's a house down the street from us that has the curb appeal. I don't know if any of you have that curb appeal house in your neighborhood where people identify where you live based off of where you are in relation to that house. Right? Well, that was this house. It had the curb appeal. It's the house that people would knock on and ask, are you interested in selling it? Okay, well, some people moved into this house and it looked beautiful from the outside looking in. Even inside, I mean, it's got like nice wood floors and, and woodwork and all this stuff. It's a beautiful, beautiful house. But as time went on, when they walked out their back door, they're like, something smells. And so, and then they realized like, you know, our AC doesn't blow as hard as we think it should. Like, I feel like it should be a little bit cooler. What's going on here? So they hired someone to crawl underneath the house, which was a crawl crawl space that was small enough that the person who inspected the house technically didn't have to go under it. So someone goes into the house and here's what they find. There was a sewage pipe that someone tried to cap and the cap had blown off. And so literally sewage was dumping out underneath their house. It was a pond of sewage. And then to get to that place where that guy did the work to, to do a bad job on the pipes, he crawled over all of this air conditioning ductwork and just smashed it all. And then as the guy who's assessing the damage looks up, he sees the crossbeam, the primary crossbeam in this house, and it's bowing at a 45 degree angle. Could you imagine buying your dream house and then finding out that you had a $30,000 bill to pay? <laughs> like, Sweet, I was planning on doing that today, right? Like, like a whole, so I believe that's what false doctrine is like. False doctrine typically has curb appeal. It's, it's something that's easy to settle into. But if you could do the work of getting underneath it, you'd realize some stuff is seriously wrong, okay? So, so some things that we see popularized in our culture that, that I believe are, are dangerous things, one would be what's known as the American gospel. Not the gospel, but the American gospel. Another is the prosperity gospel. Another one is the social justice gospel. Another one is, is um, well, let's just leave it those three, all right? Anything, we'll just say any gospel that adds to the work of Christ or takes away from the work of Christ is a false doctrine that will cause people to stumble. Right? And those things can look attractive and they can gain movement, but at the end of the day, they're not true teachings of Jesus. And Paul would say that is a dangerous thing. We need to call it out and we need to avoid it and we need to, we need to hold on to what is true. Okay? So 
This guy, the proconsul, is curious about the word of the Lord. He's leaning in to know what God's word says. He sees this crazy event happen where this magician gets blinded. And then let's see how he responds in verse 12. It says, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed. Now, whenever you read about someone believing in scripture, it's, it's a big thing. Here's what's happening with the belief. He's not just believing in his truth. He's believing in a truth that is rooted in the word of God. And so when I think about when people push back against religion, it's like, I'm just, I'm not religious, right? Like I'm not, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I just don't like religion stuff. I believe that so often what people are pushing back against is something that Jesus would say, me too. If when you say like, I'm just not about religion because it feels like you put yourself on the moral high ground or you're not about religion because it feels like it's about um, your moral performance and what you can do to earn God's favor. If that's what you're pushing it back against, I believe fully that Jesus would say, me too, me too. But what the pro-council, what Paulus is believing in is not a religion. He's believing in the gospel, which is grace. You see, he's believing in the message of scripture, which shows us that Jesus stepped into history, fully God and fully man, to establish a new kingdom, a new reign. He came to be Lord in that Jesus died for our sins, that there is a morality that if we were to fall short of, the, the results in being underneath God's justice and wrath. And so Jesus died for our sins and came underneath that justice on our behalf. He was buried and he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death to offer us eternal life. Not from anything that we could do, not from our moral performance, but from what he has done. It's a gift of God's grace. We are saved by grace through faith alone and nothing else. That's what this guy believes in. He finally realizes what he, most, what he was most longing for was knowing Jesus and nothing of this world could satisfy. So what do we do with this? I believe that Paulus is the equivalent of a modern day spiritual but not religious person. Like him, we're all searching for something spiritual whether we realize it or not. Everyone in here, you are created in the image of God. You are a spiritual person whether you realize it or not and you're searching to have something spiritual in your life fulfilled. That's why the author of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in your heart. There's something spiritual that you are longing for that you're trying to satisfy. The question is, what are you going to for that satisfaction? What are you doing that where you're trying to satisfy that, that eternity that God has put in your heart? I believe some people do it through movements. For some people, it's, it's man, if, if I'm a part of a movement, it feels spiritual. I mean, I'll, I'll look back over the summer of 2020. Um, Black Lives Matter was a movement that people got into that I believe was a spiritual, a spiritual movement. And so Black Lives related causes were able to raise $10.2 billion. Why? Because people were able to feel like they were a part of something bigger than themselves. 
Or if you look at um, Hong Kong, when Hong Kong was, was protesting against mainland China, two million people flooded the streets in protest. Why? Because people wanted to be a part of a movement that was bigger than themselves. You see, these are, these are spiritual things where people are trying to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Maybe it's not a movement for you. It very well could be an event. I think some people, it's, it's what event is scratching that itch. For some people, that event is a concert. We go to a concert and there's something about it that feels transcendent to you. Right, you go to the concert, there's thousands of people, there's, there's music that is kind of beating within you, and then it gets to the, the line of the song or the song that everyone knows, and in unison, everyone is singing together, and you're like, this is just a transcendent moment. You're searching for something spiritual. Or I think about college football. I love college football, right? Even if my team's not that good. I love college football, but we think about it. Are people trying to be a part of something bigger than themselves? There's something energetic and spiritual about being with 80,000 people where you all know the same chants and cheers. We are all coming together where souls are gathering with the same hope in mind. You see, people are trying to be a part of something bigger than themselves. We can just keep going. Some people do this through nature, trying to find that right sunset or that right waterfall. Some people do this through yoga, where you know, somebody's like, I'm just stretching and having community. That's cool. I know a lot of people who are trying to get a little bit deeper into the spiritual aspects of that. Some people do it through um, ph- philanthropy. Like, There's just so many things. It could be art. It could be poetry. It could be music. There's so many things that we, we try to engage with because we're searching. And I'm not saying that these things are necessarily bad or wrong to do, but... If you're searching and trying to satisfy that spiritual itch with these things, they'll never satisfy. That's why I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if I find myself with desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, I believe what we see in the pro-council's belief, an intelligent and spiritual guy, is the truth that the only thing that can satisfy your spiritual hunger is knowing Jesus. If you're here today and you're you're saying like, look, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm not trying to get you to be a religious person, but I'm telling you that spiritual hunger can only be satisfied through Christ. It's only through knowing Jesus that you will ever find your heart fully satisfied with what you're truly longing for. So what do we do with this? Well, I know that we're all in different places today. If, we, if we're on our own spiritual journeys, everyone's in different places. But I want us all to respond. I want every single person in here to physically respond. The reason being is I believe that something solidifies in us spiritually when we respond physically. So get out, get out your worship guide. And there's gonna be the connect card in the back with a place that you can write down a prayer request. And so I'm, I'm gonna do this as well. But I'm going to ask everyone in here in a, in a few minutes to write down a prayer request. And so let me give you some direction on what that might be. So just get ready. So get your pen out, get your paper ready, and then I'll give some direction here in a second. But when I think about where people are in their spiritual journeys, I want you to kind of find where you are. Identify where, where you might be. I believe that some people on their spiritual journey when it comes to following Christ, you, you're in a place where you're saying, I've got some momentum. If that's you, I wanna, I wanna encourage you to keep 
going. You're like, man, I'm in a good place and I wanna, I, I feel like I'm starting to get some momentum in my relationship with Christ. Things are going well. Maybe I'm not doing as good as I could be, but I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So some people in here today, you've got momentum. But other people in here today, they feel completely stuck. Maybe that's you. You're like, I don't, like I know Jesus is central to my life, but if you were to ask me a spiritual question, I'd probably kind of be silent or if you were to say, when's the last time you felt God's nearness? When's the last time that you came in on a Sunday and sang and you were really, really engaged at the heart level when you raised your hands? And you're like, I, I feel like that's been a long time. So I believe some people in here just, you feel like you're stuck. Others are wrestling. I think some people today are in here and if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I am wrestling with my faith. I'm wrestling with some serious hurt or I'm wrestling with some hard questions, but I'm, 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 I'm in a wrestling match with God. All right, maybe, so maybe you're here today and you're just like, I'm, I'm wrestling. Or maybe you're, you're, you're lost. And I believe that term lost gets such a bad rap um, from, from non-Christians on the outside looking in because of the way that we've, we've kind of framed it. So let me reframe what I, what I believe is meant by the word lost. When I say lost, I'm not saying that you're a bad person in society. When I say lost, I'm not saying that you're not a very smart person. What I'm saying is I believe that the things that you have gone to in life, whether it was relationships, whether it was career success, whether it was parties, whether it was alcohol or drugs or something else, I believe if, if you've searched the world in different things, you come to a point of saying, there's still something more. And if that's you, that's the language that Jesus would say, you're lost. That's the result of being far from God. And so I think some people here are saying, there's something more. I don't know what it is. And, and it's because you're far from God. Look, I don't know where you are, but I want us all to respond with a prayer. And so in your worship, God, you have these connect cards. And so what we love to do is we take these connect cards and we pray over them. And I wanna pray over you this week. So you can take your connect card and tear it out and just write on it, pray for me. So take a pen and write those three words, pray for me. And then the way you fill this in will be on you. For some of you, you might say something like this, pray for me. I have momentum and I just don't want it to die. For others, it might be pray for me. I just feel stuck. It's been a really long time since I felt near to God and I would love to feel near to him again. Or maybe you'd say pray for me, I'm wrestling. I'm hurting because, or I have this question I don't know what to do with and would you pray for me because I'm wrestling? Or maybe you would say, pray for me. I don't know Jesus, but I'd like to. Like, I don't know how you need to fill this in, but I want everyone to write it down. And then once you write it down, you can take that card and you can, you can slide it in your pocket. You can slide it into your Bible. And this can just be between you and God. Or um, you can take it and turn it in. If you want to leave it on your seat, we'll come around and collect them after the service. Or if you want to make it easy on us, there are offering baskets at the resource tables. You can just drop it in the offering basket. If you put your name on it, we're going to pray for you by name. 
If you don't put your name on it, we're gonna pray for you and God knows exactly who we're praying for. But would you allow me the privilege and allow our staff the privilege, our elders the privilege of praying for you this week to help you in a spiritual way for where you are and where God's bringing you, all right? So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna enter into a time of response. And I wanna tell you how you can take it one step further. I know a lot of people today came with someone. Maybe you came with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a group of friends. What would it look like if you guys prayed for each other before communion? What if you took the person you came with and said, hey, can I pray for you? And when you're asked, you know exactly what to pray for because you wrote it down. Or maybe you need to be the initiator of saying like, hey, I need prayer. Could you pray for me? Just grab something you came with and pray for each other before you take communion. I think that'd be a powerful and good moment. Um, If you don't have anybody that you came with, and you're like, I still need prayer, don't leave here today without being prayed for. Um, I'm gonna just walk over this back corner over here by Main and Roan Street. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you over there. But don't leave today without being prayed for. So let me pray for us, and we'll have a time where we can all respond. God, thank you for your word. God, I believe that you're up to something in every life, in every spirit that is here this morning. God, the the good news is this isn't about what we have to do. It's not about a step we have to take because God, you're ready to meet us exactly where we are. So God, help us to meet with Jesus in this moment. God, let us meet with you where we are. And God, would you draw us in your power and in your goodness and in your love, would you draw us closer to Jesus? So God, help us all to respond as you would have us respond in this moment. So now we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at redeemercommunity.com.